In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Welcome to Underdog. Today we have a very, very special guest, Joseph McClendon III. Joseph McClendon III is a doctor of neuropsychology and one of the most sought after ultimate performance specialists in the industry. Joseph has authored several best-selling books, including two co-authorships with the world-famous Anthony Robbins and has shared the stage with him for nearly three decades. As a driven philanthropist and humanist, Joseph's most recent project is the development of a program with Forrest Whitaker and the United Nations to foster a psychology shift in child soldiers and forgotten battle babies of war-torn countries around the world. At his core, Joseph is an expert in coaching business professionals to overcome behaviors and inner and outer obstacles that may impede their results and affect their bottom line. Joseph provides you with the influence, skills, and tools that give you the competitive advantage necessary to prosper in the marketplace of the new millennium. Joseph, welcome. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. My gosh, am I excited to introduce to you this wonderful gentleman who has done so many remarkable things. My God, where do I even start with you, Joseph? I'd love to hear your story from the, sort of the beginning and sort of where you started, where you've been, and sort of where you're headed. That would be remarkable to hear. Sure. I'll tell you what, I'll start with where I am now and then go Perfect. backwards. How's that? <laughs> Sounds um, great. My, my profession, I am a neuropsychologist. I help people get over fears and phobias and emotional challenges in their lives. I had a practice in Los Angeles for many years and because it was LA it was uh, let's just say both feet in the fire and hands all at once because it's Los Angeles and I'm just gonna say it is freak city. <laughs> so you can imagine everybody. I mean the things that I trained for would be like your traditional fears and phobias and things like that but the things that came out of the woodwork in Los Angeles were just crazy. And so it was trial by fire and it was a good training because I got to deal with some of the worst of the worst in, in terms of emotional challenges and things like that. And I, you know, I'm facetious about it sometimes, but I take it very, very seriously because people, they wind up where they are in their lives as a result of oftentimes trauma. They wind up in my office because of trauma. And some of those traumas, just anywhere from uh, sexual abuse to just physical abuse to mental abuse to, uh, to the simple things like fear of dogs and fear of things like that. And so because I'm a neuropsychologist versus traditional psychology, I actually have five different ways to enter somebody's world and help work with them. And so I can get results fairly, fairly quickly. That is what I do have done by, for, as a profession. But uh, by trade, I'm what's known as an ultimate performance specialist. And um, I have the privilege of kind of a high-end life coach, if you will, of working with, uh, let's just say, some high-end people, for lack of a better term, <laughs> and, you know, Academy Award-winning movie stars and, and Grammy winners and, and uh, major sports figures and everything in between. And my outcome is always to help them get what they want, which is all the time they want to go further, faster. 
And so taking the skills from, from the neurosciences and moving into that, I have the privilege of doing that. And, and up until COVID, I was speaking in front of easily 10 to 20,000 people every month uh, internationally. When COVID hit, that, the legs just got cut out from underneath that. But it was actually a blessing in disguise because, <laughs> I mean, I move pretty fast, as you might imagine, but it allowed me to enjoy the fruits of my labor here in my own home and my own family. And so that's where I am now. What brought me to this place to do what I do is, you know, you call it underdog. And I always call it the hero's story. Um, and what I mean by that is the oldest story in the book. It's from slavery to freedom. It's from tragedy to triumph and that kind of thing. And I had a really great upbringing. I had, you know, both my parents were awesome people and they taught us uh, great work ethic and they taught us great uh, integrity and things like that. But when I was 17 and a half years old, that got taken away from me because three grown men tried to take my life because of the color of my skin. And they left me for dead. And those scars, they healed, but the emotional side of it didn't. And a very short time after that, I became homeless. And it took my dignity, took my pride, and all of the things that I'd learned as a child went out the window. And what changed my life was somebody that I didn't know, somebody that was a kind person, gave me the book, gave me a book. And the book was called Think and Grow Rich. And it, yeah, it is the, the Bible of personal development. And, but I always say to people, a lot of us have read the book. I read the book and I was desperate at the time. And I did everything the book said, cover to cover. Every exercise, every suggestion. And I read it a couple times. And long story short, my life changed. Like you, the first thing I did was real estate. That was my first financial fortune, if you will. But I went back to that person not long after I got the book and my life started to change. And I said, you know, how do I serve you? How do I give back to you? Because you've changed my life. And what he said to me, he goes, Joseph, you give back to me. You repay me by doing the same thing that I've done for you, for as many people as you possibly can for the rest of your life. Now, you know, I got to be honest, when I was younger, I didn't really take it as serious as I do now. But as I started to uh, progress, uh, that became my mission and my passion and my purpose in life. So that's, that's why I do what I do. That is remarkable. Oh my God, that's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Wow. And then, so how did you go down the route of the neuropsychology? Was that due to the trauma that you sort yeah, of- Yeah, it was. Because okay. I recognized I had a lot of demons. And, you know, I was thinking about this today. I should have written the book, How I Learned to Hate Myself. And I really did. I mean, it was self-loathing, along with, um, not to cross too soon or into this conversation, along with, if you have black skin in this country, you have a psychological one. So that accompanied that as well. And I quickly realized that I needed help psychologically. So I'll be honest with you, though, when I say this to anybody that studies the neurosciences or psychology or anything like that, we always go after saying we're going to help other people. That's why we're doing it. But the reality was, is I, I went after it to help myself. To, to, I knew I couldn't uh, help anybody else unless I helped myself. Um, I started, uh, you know, on that path, I studied traditional psychology first. And then, very long story short, as my journey got further along, I remember I had one of my professors say, psychology is the only field that you get paid for being ineffective. And I remember asking, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, and she was being facetious when she said it. She was joking around. She said, well, if you come in and, and you have a problem, 
and I fix that problem in one visit, then you're not going to keep coming back and giving me money. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, that's not fair. And it actually discouraged me. And I took another route from there until I, I, I realized that there was a quicker way, uh, a more lasting way to get the result. Because I felt like, well, if somebody's in pain, um, the last thing they want to do is take a long time. And I honor that if people, like, for example, grieving is a different story. Grieving and loss of love and things like that, 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 I, and anything, I don't rush it unless that person is ready. Uh, if you're ready, we can get through those things fairly quickly. And um, so to answer your question, it was to help myself so that I could help other people. Fascinating. So, you know, often, oftentimes, so when we hit rock bottom, and it sounds like sort of that's, that's where you were, the, the whole inspiration behind the show is like, you know, how do you get past that hump, right? Because after you get past that hump, it's like, woo, you know, we're rolling, we're rocking and rolling. But how do we get past that, that hump to get us, you know, that mentality of how do we keep going? Now, during that time, when you were just getting into neuropsychology and all of this, what was the thing that kept you going in your mind, like any sort of like inspiration or, you know, what was the thought process that sort of got you through that? Because it sounds like once you went to neuropsychology, everything sort of improved for you because it was almost therapeutic to yourself now how did you sort of get to that get to that phase um from an intellectual side an intellectual answer is, is that we're all, all after love mm. we're all after acceptance and love whether it is our parents love or whether it's the love of, of uh, you know, another another person that you know a romantic love or if it's the love of people you don't know that is why fear of rejection is the number one fear that we have in human beings. It's built into us as, as part of our DNA to keep somebody around us, otherwise we'll die. Human beings are the only creature that needs somebody else for its emotional and physical needs past the age of three years old. I think elephants are like two and a half, three years old. Human beings, some of us 34. <laughs> no. uh, yeah. uh, but, but we know that instinctively. Our creator gave us that instinct because um, and, and it's the fear of death, and it never goes away. However, we can mitigate it, and we can we can make it so that fear does not live in us, that stress does not live in us anymore for a few seconds. Um, and so, my motivation, I, I can say it was three things. Number one was uh, the acceptance and love of my parents. I didn't want to disappoint them. My father and my mother were very accomplished people. They were. My father was a military man, 26 years in the Air Force, but he also went to night school and got his master's degree. My mom was an opera singer. And um, so, so they taught us those things. And I felt like I let them down when I became homeless. I felt like, and so that was the first thing is I wanted to make them proud. I, I knew they loved me. That wasn't the point. It's just like, I felt like I needed to show them that their investment in me uh, as a child, was not all for nothing. And the second thing was, I wanted to, I, I wanted the acceptance of my peers around me. I wanted the acceptance of the people that I looked up to and that I hung out with. And because, you know, I would see my friends and I'd see people that I went to high school with and things like that that were progressing in their life. And I was so ashamed, nobody knew I was homeless. I literally would, you know, we call it the imposter syndrome now, but I would literally go out during the day and people would nobody would really ask you know where, where do you sleep with that kind of thing and so um my internal drive was to to be successful to show everybody else 
And then the third thing, my drive was, or my pull was, what I said before, was I wanted to better myself so that I could be an example, so that I could, I wasn't teaching theory, so I wasn't going and telling people, you know, you can be successful, you can do this, if I wasn't that way myself. That's so powerful. That is, oh my gosh. I, you know, when I hear stories like this, I'm so inspired and I'm just like, it lights a fuel in me every single time. So to hear you go from homeless to where you are now is absolutely remarkable because, you know, sometimes in our day and age, and this is why I really created this is like, you know, the entrepreneur, you know, everybody looks at where you're at now. Right. And they're like, oh, you know, and then you're like, wait, but there's this whole process that happened sort of before that. Now in your thought process, with all of this going on now, it just fascinates me. Like, how did you get over that hump? You know, with, with those, those three motivational things, like what was like your big aha moment and sort of how did things really, how did the momentum like keep rolling, you know, cause you were at that stage and then it just seemed like it was like step by step and then it just boom. The aha was boom, but the actual activities and making the changes took a bit longer. It's always easier to go back and say, well, I was this, and then, then I was this. There was time in between there. You know, I left out a whole bunch of stuff. But the aha was the moment that I realized that, wait a minute, I can not only control my thoughts, but I can program myself to think a certain way. And because I can do that, then, then I can program myself how to feel about myself, about other people, about the world around us. And if I could control how I feel and program how I feel, then I could also program what I do. And that aha was like big for me because I realized, oh, wait a minute, I can be in control. And it doesn't matter what happened to me or, because you know, there's people that have had certainly worse things happen uh, than I had. Um, but my conversation with myself, my constant conversation with myself about myself, which wasn't great, about other people, which wasn't great, and about what the world uh, represented and the world around me wasn't great. And so once I realized that, wait a minute, I can change and program that conversation, which are just my thoughts, and then everything will cascade from there. That was the aha. And then, uh, like I said, in Think and Grow Rich, it had some exercises. And one of the exercises was af affirmations, you know. Mm. But I didn't know the logic behind it. I remember reading into that chapter and going, okay, I'm just going to do it. Right. I'm just going to do it. And then I started to realize that, that, wait a minute, as I'm saying these things over and over again, and I would be absolutely voracious about it. He said, you do it once in the morning and then once before you go to sleep. Well, I do it once in the morning. I do it 10 times a day and I do it with enthusiasm, like crazy, like a madman. <laughs> and as a result, I started to recognize that those started to become my dominant thoughts. It's just like a song that you hear and you can't get that song out of your head. Well, you can do the same thing with your thoughts. And so those thoughts became my fundamental belief systems about myself, other people in the world around me. And, and as a result, I found myself gradually at first doing things, less procrastination, less hesitation, less fear of failure, uh, and all those things and doing the things that I might have or did procrastinate on before and was afraid to do. And as a result, then, and again, it wasn't overnight, um, then things started to happen. Some things did happen very, very quickly. And then some things, it took a minute because I'm a firm believer in that our thoughts don't just change us, they change the world around us as well. And so the things I started to attract into my life, um, and at first I didn't recognize it, but then I started to realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm having an active hand 
in at what's happening to my life around me. And then it was just like, okay, give me the reins to the horse. I'm riding them. <laughs> then, then it just kept going. That's incredible. So, so how do you land your first event? You know, like, and then the books, we could talk about that too, because you've got some pretty awesome yeah. books. <laughs> I had, it, it's something I call being a megapreneur. And so uh, I always, uh, you know, an entrepreneur is somebody who obviously has decided to and actively participates in creating income and wealth through means other than the traditional employee-employer relationship. And so, uh, however, again, there was a lot of time in between there. Uh, I put myself through college as a dental technician. Um, yeah, I worked making teeth. Uh, during the day and at night I would go to go to night school and so during that time when I was doing all that stuff I had other aspirations as well mm -hmm. I I'm, because my mom was a musician and I had music in me that was my goal at the time was not to be a neuropsychologist my goal was to be a recording artist truth be told remember what I said I was doing that stuff to make my parents proud well, both of them. I had a musician on one side, and then I had my dad's a mathematician, and soon later after I became a computer programmer back in the day and all those things. And my dad always drilled into our heads because he didn't get his education when he was a kid. He had to get it afterwards. And he said, you know, you have to stay in school and keep a good job or you'll be digging ditches. Well, that kind of programming was what I believed. Mm -hmm. So even though I had this yearning to be a musician and get a record, and I knew I was good enough to do it, but... I couldn't quit my job because I had conflicting issues and that I wanted to make my dad proud. So that's why I went after my degree, but I also wanted to be a musician. It was like, ah, which one do I do? And so at, at one point while I was still in school and while I was still working a job and while I was still playing in bands and writing songs and things like that, I thought, yeah, well, wait a minute. You know what? What is the common denominator here? I don't have the time to do them all. So I saw an infomercial on television and I know you being in real estate, you know, of Robert Allen, right? Yep. Okay, Robert Allen was one of the first guys, and this is back in the 80s, 1985 to be exact. He had an infomercial, and the infomercial was about his first book called Nothing Down. Mm. And it was, he was one of the first guys about how to flip houses and how to use OPM, other people's money and everything. Yep. So in the midst of everything else that I'm doing, I went to his course, his weekend course. And at the end of the course, or I'll never forget this, he said, I just taught you 50 ways to buy houses for no money down. He said, the plan is you buy two houses a year for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, you'll have 20 houses and you'll have residual income. He says, no, he said, you'll have 10 houses because you'll probably, you know, flip a couple of the others and that kind of thing. And so I asked him, I go, well, okay, I'm in a bit of a hurry here. Your plan <laughs> is two houses a year for 10 years. How about if I do 10 houses a year for two years? And he laughed and he said, yeah, he said, you can do that. He said, that's what I did. And I saw, so that's what I did. And at the end of, uh, at the end of uh, a year and a half, I purchased 26 houses. Wow. And yeah, that was my first financial win. But here's the deal. I still had my internal conflicts, meaning I couldn't quit my job. Now I have my job. Now I'm still going to college. Now I'm still playing music. I'm still having, trying to have a relationship with my girlfriend. I'm trying to... Uh, and, and I'm playing in bands. And so th that's when I realized that, wait a minute, something's got to give here. And that's when I started to rely heavily on what I was learning about neuropsychology. And I got rid of those emotional needs and fears and things in my head 
and quit my job. I still benefit from the, from the real estate now. I did sell a bunch of those. Then I moved on to the next thing, which was the music. And I got, and I'm sharing this with you because of the whole thing about uh, being a megapreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then long story short on that, I did. I wound up getting a recording contract in 1990 with CBS Records. And uh, that dream fulfilled. I got to make records and play a lot of stuff like that and everything. And then uh, a bit of tragedy happened again, because don't let anybody tell you that just because you were down once, it's not going to happen again. You know, it, it, you just learn how to deal with it. That's what life's all about. And so uh, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer and uh, I had to take care of her. And uh, that's when I realized that wait, I've got to do something different. Uh, and I met my, uh, my now business partner, Tony Robbins, and we started to work together. But I started to work together as being kind of the, uh, a, a trainer and training people in what I already knew, psychology and that kind of thing. Uh, that's when I wrote my first book. And I said, okay, I want to I write a book because I wanted to get this information to the black community because they weren't getting it. And so my first book is called Unlimited Power of Black Choice. And it became a bestseller, a New York Times bestseller. I'd never written a book before. Wow. And then I decided I wanted to, I wanted to, as you were asking in the very first place, I wanted to speak to large audiences. And then long story short, I did that. The reason I share all that, there's three common themes that go all the way through it. I, I say it, it is the triad of a megapreneur. Megapreneur is somebody that is not just an entrepreneur, has the skill set to be able to take whatever they go into, all of the areas of their life, and become successful and super successful, for lack of a better term. And so those three things are what I call the 60-20-20 rule. 60% psychology, 20% energy, and 20% magnetism, believe it or not. And so I can take, that's why all of those areas that I did, whether it's real estate, author, uh, making music. Oh, I did network marketing for a while as well. And got, you know, I did that and got a six-figure income on that. But I, and I retired from that almost 12 years ago now. And I still get a paycheck from that. So all of those areas are areas that the likelihood of success for, for most people is very, very low. Very, very low. But if you have the formula, you can make it high in all of those things. And so I try to carry that, not try to, I carry that into whatever I do and whatever I teach. It's just a formula, you know, one plus one equals two, you know, you do it. That's fascinating. And I love it. You're such an entrepreneur at heart. And I love it. You know, you started with one thing, pivoted to the next, then went to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's beautiful. And this is why I love hearing about the process, because this is where you hear the real stuff you know, not the glamorized end version that everybody sees, you know, the real stuff. And that I think is the most powerful thing. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, question for you. What would you tell your younger self? Well, uh, ironically, I've already told him. And this is what I told him. him. It is part of what I teach in some of my workshops and seminars is let's go back and have that conversation. But really, you know, as as a hypnotherapist, let's do it in a way that really makes a difference. Because my saying is, it's never too late to have a happy childhood, you know? And what I told myself is, I love you. I love you, I always will. And it doesn't matter what you think other people think of you, you're amazing. And that's it. Because if you, because that's what we're all after. We're all after, like I said in the very beginning, we're after the love and and the appreciation and and the acknowledgement of others, but the person that makes the biggest difference is ourselves. And as I look back, and, and most of us can look back, we are the hardest on ourselves. And so if you come from a place of, I love you, then it, all is possible, all is possible. 
And so that's the message that I get. I, you know, it's obviously some other things, but that's the biggest message that it comes down to. But here's a question. Yes. And that is, here's a question, a self-directed question, so I can answer that as well. Sure. And that is, what are you going to tell your future self? Mm, I like that. What are you going to tell your future self? And that, for me, is just thank you. Thank you. I'm grateful. Thank you for what you've done. Because it programs your brain. You know, our brain is, I, I always say that this, here's, here's what we're after all the time, 24-7. Here's what we're looking for, something called dopamine release. And that's the release of the, let's just call it drug, the euphoric drug that our brain releases. <clears throat> and it only comes from our appreciation, acknowledgement, and praise to ourselves. In other words, even when somebody says, hey, you look good today, one might think that, okay, that feels good, so I release the dopamine. That makes me feel good. But if you've got an internal dialogue that says, uh, if they only knew, which is the imposter syndrome, if they only knew how bad I really was, or if they could see me without my makeup, or they knew this, then the, the release of the dopamine is minuscule and sometimes not at all. So if you come from a foundation of, I don't need anybody else to tell me, I'm amazing. And you come from that, not from an arrogant standpoint, but from you know absolutely certain and confident standpoint, then what happens is that dopamine gets released. And, and anytime it gets released, your brain and your body goes, what did it get released for? Let's do more of it. Yep. And so that's how we train ourselves. And I absolutely agree with that too. So since I was a little girl, my dad always, I've always been a daddy's girl, thousand percent. <laughs> my dad would always be like, Pam, you're going to be a leader. You're going to stand on your own two feet. You're going to be independent. You're going to rock it. But I didn't realize how those affirmations really affect yes. me. And to be able to step it. And I realize that now, you know, I'm like, wow, my dad planted the seed when I was really young and was just always like, Pam, you're going to do this. You're going to rock it. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to be great at whatever you do. You don't need a man to, you know, to, to stand. You're going to stand on your own two feet like that. So what you're saying is really powerful because those affirmations and what you tell yourself and that self-love gets planted within you, whether you know it or not. And I didn't realize how embedded it was in my mind until, you know. Yeah. And most of us don't realize that because that your, your father gave you beliefs and most of us don't believe, don't, don't understand what our beliefs are about ourselves, other people in the world around us. But um, they all came from one or two places, either you know, like a parent or somebody told you, or you got it through what we call significant emotional events. I don't care whether it's a television show or, you know, somebody said something to you or whatever. Our environment is always telling us what to believe. The trick is, I always say, take the best, leave the rest. The trick is, is to go through and go, okay, well, what do I really believe? <laughs> which ones serve me? And those are the ones I'm going to enhance. And which ones suck? And those are the ones I'm going to boot out. Yeah. Yeah. And then also the energies of the people around you too, I think is super. Important. Yeah, yeah. Again, think and grow rich. That, that book changed me as well, big time. And then reading the secret and all of that. Now, speaking of books, what is your latest and greatest? I'm writing another book. Actually, I just finished oh. reading the book. You know, Les Brown. Yes. Okay. Les is a dear, dear friend. And Les called me up just before COVID hit. And he goes, Joseph, he says, we've been talking for years to do something together. Let's do something. And I go, okay, let's. It's, it's, it's interesting because we're in the same field. So it's kind of like, you know, he's busy. I'm busy all the time and everything. And he goes, he says, I want you to write another book. And I go, nope, ain't going to happen. I've written six books and yeah. I don't like writing. I just don't <laughs> like it. When something is in me, I have to write it. And so long story short, let's just say inspired me to write another book. And the book is called Dare to be Magnificent. 
and it is now my favorite book, and I'll tell you why. My father passed away uh, two years ago, and my father was and still is my hero because uh, remember what I said, my mom and my dad, uh, you know, taught us specific things. Well, my dad taught me how to be a man and taught me what I call the five essential ingredients of magnificence. And magnificence to me is magnifying the essence of who you are. Mm-hmm. And those things are integrity, tenacity, energy, joy, and kindness. And those are the things that the book is about. And so each one of those, uh, again, we can program ourselves to be those things, but each one of those accompany our ability to step up and do what most people want. And so that's my favorite book now. <laughs> you know? Oh, that is fascinating. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it. I literally just finished. And by the way, of any of my other books, the longest took me two years. The shortest took me, uh, I'm going to say nine months or a year. I wrote this book in three, in seven weeks. Really? Yeah, most of it is because I'm quarantined. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's Oh man, I just, I'm absolutely fascinated by you and I absolutely love, oh, I could talk to you all day, I feel like. <laughs> I could talk to you all day. Now, what's next for your use? I know you mentioned COVID, you just finished up a book, sort of what's it looking like in the next six to 12 months for you? Like what sort well, of events planned or anything like that? I, I do have events planned, but we'll see if they take place because, you know, we're still, we're still locked down. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, my passion project now and has been uh, since I wrote my first book, is to is to impact the black community with some of the, the things that they would not otherwise have the opportunity. Do I have the opportunity to have the means to be able to get this type of information? And so, in the midst of not just the COVID, but we're also in the midst of uh, a restructuring, if you will, of a lot of people's mindset with regard to race. And so, I have a unique perspective on that, being a black man and having. And by the way. Those men that tried to take my life, that's one of five violent acts of racism that I've had on, on myself and countless, countless just events where, uh, whether it was uh, verbal abuse and that kind of thing. And I don't think there's, there's a, a, an African-American that hasn't had at least countless verbal abuses and things like that. Not to mention, you know, the programming, the systemic programming that we have about ourselves. Right. And so, um, and so what my passion is now is to, is to make sure that we come up, because there's hundreds of thousands, there are millions of people in the streets right now that are finally getting it, you know? And what I mean by that is, I don't just mean white people finally getting it, black people finally getting it as well. Did you know that I would say, uh, and this is just my guess, I forget what the numbers they actually said, that, that about two thirds of African-Americans didn't really even know what Juneteenth was and what it represented. Two thirds of African-Americans doesn't really know our history or the, uh, America's history, the real history. And that is by design. And so I'm not here to talk about the problem with people. I'm here to, to talk about here's what to do so, so that when we all go back to our home, and we will, because everybody's gonna come off the streets and go back to their homes sooner or later. And when they do, make sure that we go back and we make those shifts in ourselves. So we change our behaviors and change what we get. Because if we then we're going to go back to another version of something we already had. People are becoming satiated with problem the problem now. And the, the hard, let's just say hardcore, or the, uh, the changes that they're talking about within the system with regard to training of the police and 
uh, and the things like that, those are, those are evident, those are things, but the changes in ourselves are not. And unless we change in ourselves, then we will repeat ourselves. If we don't learn to you know, love ourselves and love other people and recognize that, wait a minute, this is a, this is a point for us all to grow, then we're gonna go back. And so that's my passion then. Absolutely. And the thing is, the beautiful thing about all this, it comes from love, right? Yeah, so the yeah. gentleman that planted the seed in you, look at the tree and the branches and everything that it sort of yeah. created. And now you're out there inspiring thousands and millions of people, which I think is absolutely remarkable. So it all starts with love, but I'm all about that too. I'm the same exact way. And I'm so happy to hear that that's the latest and greatest with you. Oh my God. I'm just like, I'm fascinated by you, Joseph. I really, really am because I think it's so powerful when I meet somebody who has been through all of this and yet still shines in such a magnificent way, as you mentioned, and is still out there inspiring and still out there doing amazing things. So I thank you so, so much for this. This has been absolutely remarkable. And what would be sort of your one liner of like the most influential thing you'd like to leave for, for guests? That life is exactly what we dare to make it. And fortune favors the bold. And so the trick to life is to every day boldly step up and dare to make your life magnificent. Dare to look in the mirror and have that conversation with yourself. I love you. Dare to read another book and do what that book says. Dare to lead with love. Dare to go out there in the street and be vulnerable and just pour love out of you into another human being. That's where life changes. I absolutely love that. I thank you so, so much for the interview. Thank you so much for being here today and being part of Underdog. I, it's an absolute honor. Thank you so much, Joseph. And where can everybody find you? Well, there are two things. And do you mind if I give your listeners a free gift? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things that we're all after now is certainty. And we're living in uncertain times. And so I created something a while ago called the Self-Certainty Masterclass. And it is my gift to anybody that wants it. And when I say free, I mean absolutely free. There's, you don't have to leave a credit card. It isn't a 10-day trial thing. There's nothing of that. Just go get it. And if you go to my website, I'll charge you money for it. I think it's like $500. But if you go to my Instagram, which is my name, it is I am Joseph McClendon. Uh, and I'll spell it for you. I-A-M-J-O-S-E-P-H-M-C-C. L-E-N-D-O-N. And you can probably put it in the uh, remarks. And you just click on the link below my profile. A menu will drop down and just look up Self-Certainty Masterclass. And it is a, oh, no, about a four-hour audio course with a workbook that you can download and is my free gift to you. And let me tell you why I'm doing it. It does come with a cost. It's not free. Here's what I ask you to do is to spread the knowledge. I'm not saying you don't, you don't have to tell them to go get the course and do it themselves. I want you to, to, whatever you learn from me, you be the teacher. You tell somebody else. You go out and, you know, act like you invented it. You know, you get your results. And then when people say what's happening with you, go try this, try that. Because it isn't just me talking. I'm going to give you assignments to do. And when you do them, you're going to get results. So the only thing that I ask is that you become a shining example for somebody else. And um, other than that, you can find me on my website, which is myname.com, josephmcclendon.com. Thank you so much, Joseph. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. 
Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode. <music>